Good morning, Ebenezer. How is everyone today? Aren't you glad you can come to a place and you can laugh, have fun, but at the same time, take a moment to reflect on how good God is? And I'm blessed and honored, privileged to be the lead pastor here. My name's Jamie, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you or you're joining us online, you're one of our guests today. Let me just say welcome. As, as Shannon said, what you're going to find is a place that you can call home. This is a place of hope. We are a people of hope. And I'm so stoked uh, that this month has come. As you saw as you came in, you saw a table in the lobby. And we got a couple of things out there that we would like for you to own. First off is this. You don't have to buy this. I'm not about to give you a sales pitch. You're getting nervous, right? But this is a dual-sided sign. On one side, it talks about journey, which is coming up in just a few weeks. On the back side, it talks about Easter and our services that day. We would love for every family to take one of these today, put this in your yard so that it can show your neighbors and those driving down your streets. But we got some stuff coming up. In the box on that table, though, are some invite cards. Looks exactly the same, has both of those events on it, but we will want to challenge you to take three, four, or five of these. And we want you to go give them out, especially if you last week and the week before wrote down the names of three people. These cards are for them. And we want to make it happen. We want you bathing that in prayer. We want you to ask God to give you favor in their life and so that they might come and create that interest. So today as we start a new series, we're calling this, Here I Am, Send Me. And we're using this as a way to get ready for journey. We're getting, using this to get ready for Easter. So I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We'll be in the Old Testament this week. Back in 2003, and probably over the last couple of decades, there's been a lot of different kind of TV shows, reality TV shows, that delve into the personal lives of people. One of those was called Clean House. All y'all started smiling as soon as I said that, because if you know the gist of the show, this is where experts come in to help someone clean up their house. And you're going like, why does anybody need somebody to help them clean up their house? Well, they just do sometimes. I'm going to confess to you, I am not in any way, shape, form, or fashion a hoarder. But I do know a few hoarders. And sometimes hoarders are hoarders because the things in their house are very important to them. There's other reasons. What you find out when you watch shows like this is sometimes there are some psychological issues going on in somebody's life that causes them to, to not have a clean inside or or. Like my grandmother had all kinds of knickknacks. I think she was a hoarder. When you walked in, she had this uh, brown paneled wall, and you couldn't see the paneling. She had so much stuff hanging on the wall and then in the floor and then beside that, and you barely just had a path to kind of meander down to get anywhere in her house, and she just kept stuff. You ever heard the phrase, living in a glass house? When you live in a glass house, you can see everything that's going on inside. And as I'm talking about this, this show and talking about the idea of a, of, a, of a messy home, some of you are going like, you know what, nobody comes into my house unless it's clean. And so for some of us in this room, you probably are like, well, no one ever comes over because my house is never clean. And I want you to think about that in the context of this house right here, inside. I want you to think about your spiritual house. Because when I look at your spiritual house and you look at my spiritual house, that's who defines, that's what defines who we are. 
It's just that a lot of times, especially in church world, we're focused on the external. We're focused on the outside, but don't really think about what's going on on the inside. When you would look at these shows or watch these shows, they'd come in and they, they may t- help them organize their stuff and maybe there's some things they do need to get rid of so they sell it off or they give it away. And at the end of the show, the family shows up and they're just in awe of how immaculate their house is and how clean it is. And, and they're like, Please, oh gosh, this is so great, thank you. But I wonder how many of those houses ended up becoming a mess again. And for you and me today, and I look at this, there's a lot of conclusions that we can draw about this. And maybe even some of us might have a little judgmentalism. Why would somebody let their mess get that big? But, but to me, it, it's the issue of dealing with the inside versus what I'm trying to show on the outside. In 2019, and this is talking about the way we portray ourselves, which the only example I can think of best is social media. We, we, you know, we, with TikTok, let's don't even talk about TikTok. <laughs> Facebook or maybe Instagram and some of these, you have what's, you know, you have your, your, your profile pic. And then somebody can read your wall and just kind of see what's going on in your life, where you've been, where you've traveled. In 2019, Facebook determined they had 2.2 fake accounts. Billion. 2.2 billion fake accounts. Now, I want you to think about that, though, in the sense that's four years ago. Do you think it's bigger or less? So for those of you that have Facebook, how many of you this week got a friend invite from somebody you're already friends with because they hacked their account and sent you a friend request? It's not who they really are. And then when you look at it, like, for example, if you go on, I think it's on Instagram or, or um, oh, gosh, just Snapchat, you know, they have filters. Because sometimes you see the profile pic of somebody, and you're like, there's no way they look like that. Come on, I've seen them with that makeup on before. We were playing around with it a few weeks ago, and I put, a, put one up. We were just playing with it just to have some fun. And I put the lens on there, and it made me look like Chris Hemsworth. And I'm like, well, there's not much difference in that picture. And, <laughs> And me, and I leaned over to Laura, and I'm like, look at that right there. And she's like, nah, I like the version of you better. And honestly, that's the truth. You know, because here's the thing. Some people think that if they can portray themselves as all put together and perfect and nice on the outside, that that means that they would have security and and that they would have self-esteem. Nature.com did a study of that. And they did a study where they interviewed certain users who um, they would confess, well, this is really who I am, and this is a facade of me. And what they found is that, is that those who were honest about who they were had more self-actualization and confidence than those who were putting on this self-front, this facade, not who they were. And you and I today, as we stand before the Lord, God knows what's on the inside of your house. He knows what's going on in your spiritual home. And some of that you stand here and go, I don't want anybody to know what's going on in my home because if they knew me, they wouldn't want me. They would reject me. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you, we are a place of hope. And as your pastor, I will always stand that this is a hospital. And hurting people can come in this room and hurt out loud. And if not, then we need to hang ministry up. Because if people can't come in here and find hope, and healing, then we are not being the extension of Christ. 
And that means we check judgmentalism at the door. That means that we give grace and freedom that whatever a person is struggling with, it's a struggle. And outside the grace of God, you may be struggling with the same thing. Or maybe you you might actually be struggling with the same thing. You know, when you read Matthew 5, it kind of breaks your brain a little bit. Because when you read Matthew 5, Jesus starts delving into the inside stuff. If you say you hate your brother, you've killed him. If you look at a woman in lust after, you've committed adultery. Does that not break you a little bit? That what's going on on my inside is a reflection of what could be happening on the outside. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs full of rotting bones. If you've ever been kind of in the Caribbean area where they can't dig down, there's cemeteries, they're, they're, the, the, the burial plots sit on top of the ground. When, when New Orleans flooded years ago, that was one of the issues is some of those sarcophagus were floating on the water. That freaked me out. You're like, hey, the street's flooding. There goes uh, Jane in her four-by-four. There goes so-and-so in a boat. And there comes a coffin floating down the river. I don't know about you, that freaked me out, man. And so today I want us to a- ask ourselves this question. Who am I really? Who am I really? Because what we're going to see in this passage is a very famous phrase that Isaiah is going to say to God, here I am, send me. But before you can answer the question, who, here I am, you've got to answer the question, who am I? Because if you're saved and you know Jesus Christ today, let me tell you what, you've been redeemed. You have been saved from your sin. You are a child of the King. You are a son and a daughter of God. Death no longer has a hold on you. Sin no longer has a hold on you. You have been set free. That is who you are. But does that statement line up with what's on the inside? That's my question for you and for me today. As we get ready to ask the question, God, in the next few weeks, as we're trying our best to reach out of our walls and into the city of Tekoa, am I ready to be sent? Or do I need to do some business this morning to get my heart in alignment? Because here's what we're going to find. When we encounter the true God, when we encounter the creator God, the majestic God, the holy God, it changes things. When I am able to experience this God who spoke the world into creation and experienced that power, I should never be the same again. It should change everything about me. Because today you may say you're a Christian. What does that mean? That you've shunned hell and gained heaven? Is that all Christianity means to you? I have the label Christian. What does that mean? It should mean I'm a little Christ. That I'm living and trying to live in a way that reflects who he is. And I can doll up the outside. I can put lipstick on a pig, but I don't want to kiss it. I want my outside to be a reflection of what's on the inside. You know, when you think about the descriptions of Solomon's temple and its glory, it paled in comparison of the reflection of the glory of God which was on the inside. And now you and I, through the new covenant, we are the temples of the Lord. The Holy Spirit, if you've accepted Jesus, now lives inside of you. And if holy lives in you, holy should live out of you. So would you mind standing, if you have a device, if you're joining us online, stand with me as we read the first six, eight verses of Isaiah 
chapter 6. And I just, can, can I pretend I'm doing children's church for a moment? I want you to use your imagination. Use your imagination as you hear this passage being read. In the year that King Uzziah died, his death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He named an earthly king and exalted the heavenly king. Lofty, exalted with the train of his robe, filling the temple. Seraphim, which are fiery angels, stood above him, each having six wings. And with two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, the whole earth, that's a big place. The whole earth is full of his glory. Check this out. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then Isaiah said, Woe, woe is me, for I'm ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, With a burning coal in his hand, which he could do because he was actually fiery too. Which he had taken from the altar with tongs. Because the things of God that are consecrated are holy. Do I get that? That seraphim could have reached in there and grabbed that, that piece of coal without the tongs. But because God had said, do this, he did it. He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. And your iniquity is taken away and your sins forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we dig into this passage today, first of all, Lord, would you reveal your glory? I mean, Lord, reveal your glory. In such a way that when we step out of this room today, We are never the same again. We submit our hearts to you. We submit our minds to you. Open our eyes and open our ears that we can hear from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, one author said this about the book of Isaiah. Stated briefly, the purpose of Isaiah is to display God's glory and holiness through his judgment of sin and his deliverance and blessing of a righteous remnant. Ladies and gentlemen, God is serious about his holiness. We don't hear a lot about holiness anymore because sometimes in our modern day context we get a little freaked out because we're Baptists, we're not holiness. There's a different denomination with that name and and I think sometimes we then step away from it because we're afraid of what that implies. But guys, God is holy and he calls a holy people and he makes us holy. When you accept Christ, he puts the spirit inside of you and his plan for your life is to change you. We spent five weeks in the book of 1 John and we talked about this idea of God calling us to a new lifestyle, into transformation. And the context of this chapter is very neat because have you asked yourself the question, why did, why did he wait till chapter 6 to talk about his calling? Because in Jeremiah, Jeremiah starts off by telling you, you know, his calling. But why did, why did Isaiah wait? He had already to this point 
pronounced woes and judgments against the nation. But it's important that we look again. Look again at verse number 1. He says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, in the year of King Uzziah's death, in order to understand that, I want you to just, you can, you can jot this down and maybe just hear me paraphrase this. But 2 Chronicles 26 describes the reign of King Uzziah. Now, King Uzziah was about 16 when he began to rule. And he was described as a king who did right in God's eyes. And he was very successful in warfare. In fact, it chronicles, in chronicles, it chronicles his exploits and his wins. But in verse 16, the tone of the chapter changes. And it says this, But Uzziah became strong, and his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he began to act unfaithful to the Lord his God. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, any of you that are Old Testament students, was it the king's role to burn incense? No, it was the tribe of Levi whom was set apart. You know, there's that word again, set apart, of the tri- 12 tribes of Israel, actually 13 when you take Joseph's two sons. Levites became a segre- separated people of God. They had no land. Did y'all know that? They had no land because they had a job, and their job was to administer and do the priestly duties of the temple. And the tabernacle before that. And so Uzziah has come in and he has done something that no one else was given permission to do. Why? Because God is serious about his holiness. And we may disagree with that. And we may say, well, that's harsh. Have you seen the holiness of God? The Bible is very clear that if you look upon God, you would die. When God appeared on Mount Sinai, they asked Moses to go up because they couldn't even couldn't stand the the awesomeness of God, the fiery and the the, the majesty of what was going on. I mean, it almost looked like, I guess, the mountain was going to explode. They're like, no, 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 Moses, you kind of go for us. We're good. We'll stay here. And so Uzziah, as Azariah and 80 priests come to confront him, he gets gets mad. He gets ticked off as as he's holding the incense. But all of a sudden at that moment, in 2 Chronicles 26, on his forehead, Leprosy breaks out. God cursed him because he took the things that were holy and disregarded them. He lived out his days separated. His 52 years of reign, he lived out the rest of his reign separated from the house of God and really his kingdom. His son had to step in and and perform the judgments of the king because he couldn't come around and he died a leper. In 740 B.C. Now why is that important? Why am I bringing that up? And and, and why is it important to our context? Because at this point, there were two separate kingdoms. Remember, Saul was king, and then David became king, and David's son Solomon ruled, and he's the one that built the temple, and the kingdom expanded, and then his son Rehoboam came along. And he put more work on the people than they should have, and the kingdom split, and the ten There were ten tribes that became known as the northern kingdom. And there was Judah and Benjamin that became Judah. And they continued the lineage of David as the kings. And the other kingdom went off in its own direction. 740 B.C. is only 28 years away 
for when the Assyrian Empire would come down and take over the northern kingdom. Why? Because of their apostasy. True, they left the kingdom, but they had deserted God. They had departed from the things which God had declared as holy. And this begins the 70-year ministry of Isaiah. Now, when we look at this, you're thinking, like, okay, well, why is that important? And here's the thing. If I'm going to say, God, here I am. Here I am. Because I think you've got to read this in the context. Uzziah went in with corruption in his heart to do something that only the priests were supposed to do. I think it was a power play. But here is Isaiah, who has already for five chapters announced woes and judgment against the people for deserting God and turning their backs on God. And now, here he is. And God shows up. Because here's the truth, point number one. Things are different, should be different, will be different when God shows up. When was the last time you felt like you had an experience of God that was transformational? Now, I'm not focusing on the emotional side of an experience. I'm talking about you know that there was a point in your life when God showed up. Well, for all of us that are believers, God shows up every day. It never stops because he dwells inside of us. But I'm talking about those experiences when the majesty and the glory and the weight of God is present. I want you to look at four observations from this, from this passage. He said, he saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, first observation, he was in a place of majesty and sovereignty. God is sovereign over his creation. And your emotions sometimes will tell you, well, God's here or God's not here. That's no different than having indigestion. The truth is, God does show up. You may feel it or you may not feel it. You may be happy or you may be sad, but truth the truth is emotions don't determine truth. Don't let emotionalism be your barometer. Let the truth of God be your barometer. When God shows up, things change. Second observation I want you to make is that those who are around him declared his glory. The seraphim, verse number two, literally meant burning ones. They were fiery in appearance and in fact when you when you look at the wings they had six wings right two they covered their face two they covered their feet and with two they 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 flew well i want you to think about those wings up here as a superlative of the brilliance of god's glory that even the angelic host could not look upon the glory of god god told moses you cannot look upon me and live why because it will break you Folks, we want, we want to want to be broken. We should want to want to be broken. Because until I'm broken to the point where I can see God for who He truly is, I can't change. And the other two, they covered their feet. And I want you to think about that in terms of modesty. When God, when God uh, sanctifies something and cons consecrates something, He has a use and a purpose for it. And so even those angels, if their feet had touched the ground, the, the floor is usually seen as something dirty, and so they flew with their feet covered. In other words, to cover and be modest about any uncleanness they may even have. 
Guys, are we that serious about the holiness of God? Do we see the particulars about how God is serious? We just sang a little while ago uh, the, the, the Revelation song, but we see this trifold cry of the angels. Holy, holy, holy. Again, in Revelation 4, 8, when the living creatures having six wings, full of eyes, sounds familiar? And the day and night they don't stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Folks, today you may not sense God, but that does not mean God is not here. What we want is that God shows himself in a way that when I walk out these doors, I have been changed. That's the kind of meeting that you and I should want and long for. My, my question is, is that when we look inside our house, if our house is so dirty that I don't even care if God shows up, then I've got a problem. Because I want God to come into my house. I want God to be there. I love what Raymond Ortland said. He said, the holiness of God is simply his godness and all his attributes or characteristics, his works and his ways. He is not like us. He is in a different category. Why? Because he is holy. So continue this, this, um, this journey with me. Because then after they're declaring this, it says that there was no bounds to his glory, that it, that it filled the entire earth. Have you ever watched a movie or seen a television show of a sandstorm coming? Kind of comes rolling in like a wave, but then once it, once it gets to where those people are, it just encompasses them where you can't even see two inches in front of your face. That's how I think about the glory of God in this context. Overpowering weightiness that, that God in his majesty has been high and lifted up, even if I won't. You know, it says in Philippians 2 that every knee would bow and every tongue confess. How could you stand if you stood before God in his majesty and stand there with your arms folded? Sing the song, I shall not be moved. God is serious about his holiness, and his holiness changes. And last observation, the praise of those angels shook the foundations of the temple. Now today, the only thing I heard shaking the foundation of the temple was the base. But what if it was like that? That when we cried out, holy, 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 and God showed up in a powerful way, that everything just starts shaking. Sometimes we need to be shaken up. Sometimes something needs to happen that in our inside house, our, our heart house, so to speak, that God rattles and shakes things so much that we have to clean it up. Some of you have experienced earthquakes or maybe even some of the little tremors we have around here. Might knock something off the wall. What do you do? You, you clean it up. And that's what God is calling you and me today. We want to interact with God in such a way that we're different at the end of that. Because when you read the Old Testament, you see when God intervenes in a battle, he might send a fiery wall between you and the adversary. When you see God intercept those who are going down the wrong path, he may speak through a donkey. When you see God interact individually with people, he tends to their needs just like Elijah in the wilderness. Or maybe you see God interrupt God's plan because David wanted to build the temple and God said no. The power of God working in us. One pastor said it like this. From the parting of the Red Sea to David slaying Goliath to Jonah and the well and to Daniel in the lion's den, whenever God shows up, he shows out. And when he shows up, lives ought to be changed. I recently spoke to a friend of mine who is going to make a trip to Hawaii. 
And I, I know it's got to be beautiful. I've never seen it. I'd love to see it someday. But they're going to cruise all five islands in Hawaii. Well, he always takes his sister with her. And their history, they've got family members that were in the military. And so as they're talking about going to the island, she said, well, there's one stop I'm going to make before we get back on that plane. She said, I want to see the USS Arizona. December 7, 1941, when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor and we entered into that war, that, that monument has meaning to her. And I know when she sees it, she is going to be like, wow, this is life-changing seeing this. Maybe some of you have been to a war monument or something like that, and you, wa you walk away different because of that experience. Ladies and gentlemen, today, when you come to church, we ought to expect that God shows up in a way that we walk away different. And one way we do that is the second point. Seeing God changes how I see myself. Look at verse number 5. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. If you walked into a room and a fiery angel flying around that couldn't see and had wings over his feet, all of a sudden starts crying out, Holy, 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 and things start to straight shake and tremor, it would freak you out too. Thankfully, he didn't stand there in arrogance going, well, what's all this about? He fell before the Lord and said, I am a man of unclean lips. Can I tell you who you are today? You are a sinner. Every one of you in this room is a sinner. Whether you've committed one sins or 20 million sins, you are a sinner because all of us are born as descendants of Adam and Eve. And because of that, we live in sin. We're in a world of sin. But God sent His Son to change the who I am. I don't have to live as a sinner anymore. Because when I accept Jesus, the difference now is I'm forgiven. The weight of that sin is no longer on my shoulders. The, 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 the fear of death is now gone because God has changed me. John said it like this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace, truth. You see, for us today, we're not living in the day of Isaiah. We're living in the day of Jesus. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has been raised again. And now we have a means and a way for God to revolutionize our life. Why did He touch His lips? Why did the angel take and touch the lips of Isaiah? Because, here's the reason, it was Isaiah's mouth that was going to be the instrument that God used. Today, you and I have been touched, but really on our heart, by the cross of Christ. He has come to not just forgive you, but He's come to cleanse you and to purify you. Why? Because God wants to use you and me as the extension of the body of Christ in this world. John Martin says, when, we, when seen next to the purity of God's holiness, the impurity of human sin is all the more evident. He is the litmus test, and all of us fall short. But like Moses, see, Moses got to see the backside of God. In Exodus 33, he asked God to see him, and so God says, no, but get in this, in this crack, and I'm going to cover you with my hand, and as I go by, you can see the train of my robe as I pass on by. And Moses saw him, but... Maybe some of you know this and some of you don't. But after that experience, he comes back down from the mountain and his face is glowing. 
It's kind of like, you know, we had those glow sticks earlier. If you want to reactivate a glow stick, put it out in the sun. It absorbs that sunlight, so that night it still glows, and this is no different. But again, the people of Israel are like, dude, that's too much. I can't, I can't handle that. you got to cover that up. And so Moses wore a veil. But, but as 2 Corinthians tells us, we're like that. God has put his glory inside of us. And it changes the way that I see myself. And it changes the way I see myself. It changes the way I see other people. It takes me off that judgmental platform and puts me in a place of humility where instead of crying, God, put, send your pestilence on this person, it causes me to cry, God, have mercy on that person. Save them. Rescue them. Help them. It changes the way I see myself. And for you and me today, if we hide in our deceit and ignorance, if we try to cover up the outside, I can... I can own, and I do own, multiple Bibles. I could bring every one of them in here. And that does not make me more of a Christian than you. You either are or you are not. There is no gradient in between. You either have accepted Jesus or you haven't accepted Jesus. And if you have accepted Jesus, Jesus wants to change you. So before I can say, here I am, Lord, I need to say, who am I? Have I reconciled that question in my heart? Because that leads us to this fourth Point, which is this, surrendering to God changes who I am. Let me be frank. I was thinking about this, and I got to thinking about the Lion King. You ever seen the Lion King? I bet everybody in this room has seen the Lion King. There's a scene in the movie, though, after he's run away, and he's, and he's lived with Timon and Pumbaa, and, and, and he is, he's having a, a crisis moment in his identity. Because what is it that you call the son of a king? A prince. And he was running away from his true identity. And so Rafiki shows up. I saw this on a squash banana. Y'all know that, right? And so, so he comes up and he's trying to convince Simba, I know who you are. And he, he, he's, he's trying to convince him. He said, I know who your dad is. And he's like, well, where is he? And he, he runs through this brush and he comes to this, this puddle of water and he's looking down. And at first he sees his own reflection, but then it fizzles and he sees Mufasa, his dad. And then Mufasa appears to him in this fiery cloud. And the last thing he says as he's rolling away is, remember who you are. Look at me, folks. Do you know who you are? If you've been walking with Jesus for many, many years, do you remember who you are? Has sin wrapped itself around you again so much that it's jerked you down and is holding you back? Jesus wants you to live in freedom he wants us to live in life. And I need to surrender everything to God so that it changes who I am. Listen again to verse number 6. He, he takes that, that coal, touches his lip, and says, Your iniquity is gone and your sins have been forgiven. And it's almost an illustration and call to the, to the nation of Israel. You have been pronounced with the same woes. You're under the same judgment. I want to take this away. I want to rescue you, so I'm going to raise up this remnant that's going to continue. And out of this, there's this one that's coming, this branch, and his name will be Jesus. And he's the one that would continue, continue that promise that God made for you and me today. My question is, have you surrendered everything to the Lord? Isaiah had to be prepared before he could be procured. Isaiah had to be cleansed before he could be commissioned. 
Isaiah had to be washed before being willing. Before he could say, here I am, send me. He had to deal with the who am I. And you and I today, we sit in here with that same need. Because in this context, fire always represents purity. Jesus was said, it was said of Jesus by John the Baptist in Matthew 3. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Acts 2, 3, when the Holy Spirit came, it appeared as tongues of fire distributing itself among them. Not necessarily for the sake of power, but for the sake of purity. He had to purify their lips. Because what happened after the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2? They went out in the streets and began to prophesy. The same way that Isaiah did. For you and for me, have we willingly submitted our stuff, our things, our mind. Maybe it's your mind. Maybe you need to submit your mind to God and the thoughts that you think. Maybe you need to submit your eyes and the things that you see. Maybe you need to submit your hands and the things that you do. Maybe it's your ears. You need to submit your ears to the Lord and to control the things that you hear. More than ever, we need to have this kind of conviction of the holiness of God so that we can be to the world what the world needs us to be. And the only way that will happen is this. We need to be undone to be redone. We need to be deconstructed to be reconstructed. Today, our application is this. Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I need you to come and clean up my house. That last point is be undone to be redone. And there was two quotes I found, and I love these quotes. Listen to this. When we get to the end of ourself, we get to the beginning of God. When God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible man and he crushes them. I know that hurts, and we're all sitting here today going like, I don't want to be crushed. I don't want to be crushed either. But I'm also at the age and the wisdom enough to know that if God doesn't crush me, I can't get to where God needs me to be. Only when you come to the end of yourself can you begin to experience the full, blessed, and whole life Jesus offers. I think Young said it best. Here in this passage, we find the reason why so few are willing to serve God. They need, above all, the conviction of sin. We have to hate the things that make our house dirty. They need also, it says, only when a man has been convicted of sin and has fully understood that the Redeemer bore the guilt of his sin, is he willing and ready to joyfully serve God and go wherever God may call him. Constable, I love it. This is how he summarizes the passage. Isaiah said, woe. The seraphim said, woe. And then God said, and that's us today. So as we stand in just a moment to close out the service and worship, my question to you is this. What's holding you back? Would you be willing today to reflect about your own house and what's on the inside? Is there something, some area of your life that you're still holding back? Like a hoarder. You know, it's got, it's got emotional connection. I just can't let it go. But maybe that's you today and you need to come down here. Crosby will be down here. I'll be down here. We're here to pray with you and pray for you that God can take that thing that you're surrendering because it may very well be that that path is what opens up the ministry in your life. Surrender your lips, surrender your ears, your mind, your hands, whatever it is God wants to do today. If you don't know Jesus Christ, we're up here as well. We would love to talk to you and be able to counsel with you. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He died on the cross to take your sin away and was raised again to give you life. Don't hesitate. Would you come this morning?
Stand with me as we, as we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we get ready to, to separate, God, we're not doing church because we are the church. We're just going in different places. So, Lord, I pray you bless this people today. That God, whatever we need to do business with, whatever we need to bring and lay at the altar of your grace, God, would you take it from us? Would you accept our sacrifice of our lives as we submit whatever it is that we need to give to you this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.